0: I encourage you to share the stream. So I asked Alex for a graphic that said fresh start and he kind of had a new year's fireworky thing. I said no man I'm thinking more lemony like lemony. It's like why lemons? Because we turn lemons into what? Lemonade. That's right. 2023 might have been a lemon but 2024 is going to be some lemonade. You with me? All right. So uh, we got the stream rolling Alex. Yes. No. I don't know, but I'm rolling. All right. Fresh start. So we're talking about overcoming fear. Anybody want to overcome fear? One of the biggest problems in our lives that keeps us from moving forward is fear. Fear is inborn into our uh, natural existence. When Adam and Eve fell, the first emotion that they felt was fear. They ran and hid themselves, and they were afraid. They became afraid of just about everything. They were afraid of their own shadow. They were afraid of the Lord. They were afraid of their purpose. They were afraid of their destiny. Fear came into human existence or embedded itself when Adam and Eve fell. So fear is something that's rooted in the fall. It's not really rooted in God's economy. It's rooted in the fall of man. So there's the emotion of fear, which is kind of intrepidation. And then there's the bondage of fear. You know, we all feel fear because we're emotional creatures, fear sometimes is good it provides warning but fear when it's paralyzing fear or you know that that is the fear that's not of god anybody know what i'm talking about Yes. yes fear is common to all of us it's a common thing to every one of us so all of us have fear all of us have intrepidation and so but jesus has an antidote for fear jesus is the antidote for fear so if we understand that fear is common then we, we don't condemn ourselves in the fact that we're afraid. What we need to do is understand it and learn to overcome it. We overcome fear, and Jesus has the ability and to teach us and to empower us to overcome fear. Fear, say it with me, fear is related to insufficiency, failure, condemnation, guilt, lack of provision. Most people don't move forward because they fear failure. So let me give you something that's helped me. I learned this very long ago. I've been doing some form of business since I was 19 years old. And um, thank you, man. <laughs> I had three people give me water first service. It's like, man, why do I got so many water bottles? Because everybody wants that. Give the prophet a cup of cold water. I said, God will reward you for that. And ever since then, everybody's coming to bring me, which is cool. Yes, exactly. Phoenix is in the, in the game every week. So... Something that I learned very, very early was that the fear of failure is always greater than the desire for gain. Fear, say this, courage. Okay, let's say this. How would I want to say this? Fear is not the, so say this, courage is, is not the absence of fear. It's the absence of self. You have the ability to move in courage while still being afraid. What motivates you past fear is something greater than yourself. The fear of failure, if you understand that, and then you understand the point that the fear of failure will always be greater than the desire for gain. So the way you overcome that fear is you have a desire for gain that's greater than your fear. The fear of failure will always be there. And it w- the, the fear of failure will always confront you and will always try to over-arc. You know, people don't get married, they're afraid to get married because what if we get divorced? What if we get divorced? I'm not getting married. I'm too afraid to get married because we might get divorced. Fear of failure, greater than the desire for gain. People don't go, people don't take the steps that they need, whatever they may be in their relationships, in their health, in their, um, you know, I don't even know, in their, in their business, in their careers, in their families, because the fear of failure is greater than the desire for gain. I said this first service, one of the things that, one of the areas in life that is a perpetual change if you're married and you don't think you need to change, you're going to have to wake up to that reality. You're going to have to change. And so is your spouse. And sometimes, a lot of times, it happens in a relationship is one or both parties are too afraid to make the changes that are necessary for the relationship to become healthy. And a lot of times, one of the things that happens is that women don't oftentimes speak up for themselves. <laughs> Some of you ladies don't have that problem, but most women do. And I always tell people, if you, I tell the women, if you have a problem speaking up for yourself in your relationships, just go see my wife, and she will coach you. She will teach you how to speak up for yourself. She will teach you how to grow and how to, how to put down the things that are necessary. It's, it's happened with me. You know, she had to develop the courage and, and overcome the fear of failure, and the desire for a healthy marriage had to be greater than her fear. You understand that? If the desire for a healthy marriage was not greater than her fear, she would have never done the things that she needed to do. And then I have to develop the courage to change by understanding that my desire for a healthy marriage is greater than my pride, greater than my ego, greater than any, you know, thing that I possess. So if you understand that, if you understand that the fear of failure is greater than the desire for gain, you you get that you're going to go a long way. And if you understand that that's always going to be present, to, to think that there's not going to be fear is crazy. I've been an entrepreneur, my, like, practically my whole life. And that's why I had to learn these things. Because as an entrepreneur, it's all about risk. It's all about risk. If you don't have a high risk tolerance, you might as well forget the idea of being an entrepreneur. Go work for somebody. Because risk tolerance is what that, that, that world is all about. You have to step out into the unknown. You have to go bold. You know, you're like... You know, ground control to Major Tom, you're floating outside the, outside the spaceship. You know, you're live without a net most of the time. So you have to have a risk tolerance. I did a, a pastoral assessment one time. Just, I, I've shared this before, but it just it always baffles me. They did this assessment of me. You know, all these guys were doing assessments, and I had to do this assessment. It was a long story. Never ended up being a part of the organization because, you know, which was great. They wanted me to be a part of this organization. So I was thinking about it. So they're like, oh, just take the assessments. I take the assessments and, and they come back to me and they're like, man, you have an incredible risk tolerance. they are like, your entrepreneurial skills are off the chart. These are pastors talking to me. They're like, have you ever thought of starting a business? I'm like, dude, I'm trying to plan a church. Doesn't that, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, that's not what they wanted. They didn't want high risk tolerance pastors. They, they wanted conformity. It's nuts. It it actually, that was one of the biggest lessons I ever, I just looked at that. I'm like, what? They're like, you're risk tolerance, man. You should go start a business. I'm like, I've been there, done that. I'm like looking to serve my father and go about his business, but it's just wild. But there's a lot of risk that's involved. No matter what you do, you cannot avoid risk. You have children, it's a risk. You get married, it's a risk. You get a new job, it's a risk. You make a change in your life, it's a risk. There's always a risk. In your life, you got to realize that fear will stop you if you let it. You have to find a motivating influence that's greater than your fear of failure. Do you understand that? A word from the Lord. So say this with me: Fear is a distressing emotion of something that has not happened. That's what fear is. If it if it if it has already happened, it's no longer fear. It's a reality. But so long as it's out there, it's a myth. And Jesus, the devil controls us with myths. That's how he controls our lives. is with a myth of what could go wrong, what might go wrong. We have to develop another, another example of fear, the absence of self. So fear, courage is not the absence of fear. It's the absence of self. If you have a, if any moms in the room, this especially holds true. I was like warrior dads, but I won't use me. But if there's a mom in the room and your child is in distress, mothers... Have, developed, have, have demonstrated athletic abilities and strength abilities they never knew they had. If they see their baby in trouble, that woman, you'll see a woman hurdle a fence, climb a tree, jump down, lift a car, push everybody out of the way to rescue that child because it's an absence of self. The courage that she demonstrates running into a burning building to change or save her child has nothing to do with fear. It has everything to do with an absence of self. Her desire is for something greater than herself. The way we overcome fear in moving forward is we have, there has to be a desire that is greater than, than yourself, or you will never overcome it because self-preservation is the first instinct. Our first instinct is self-preservation, to preserve ourselves. That's our first instinct, and that relates to fear. And so we have to have a drive that helps us over. Jesus gives us the cause. I mean, he gives us himself. He's a cause that's greater than our life. And so the whole kingdom is based, based upon fearlessness. I was talking about, um, um, I was talking to uh, Alex is a medical doctor, by the way. I was talking to him and I was just, I had this meditation about how we're born and the things that we carry from our birth, you know? And like, we're born vulnerable. We're born screaming, right? We're born looking for someone to love us and to hold us and to nurture us and to wrap, our, wrap something around us. And I was thinking about, how the baby the baby learns how to grip from the womb a baby you know some of you have babies you understand they grip and alex was telling me from a medical point of view he says the baby has to learn to let go isn't it interesting we're born gripping but the baby has to learn how to let go that's why you got to pull your finger away from that baby that baby doesn't let that finger go right some of you are like, I want to hold a baby right now. But anyway, it's like, so that's that's what happens. And so if we understand that about ourselves, our nature is to hold. Our nature is to hold. Our nature is to hold. And the kingdom is to let go, let go, let go, let go. It's kind of, do you see the paradox there? So what what I want to share with you a little bit is from Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is a psalm that's not it's it's about Jesus' commitment to you. This is really what that psalm's about. One of the things we have to understand, we have to have a mentality that enables us to overcome fear. And then we have to have practical steps that enable us to overcome fear. So the mentality, I just shared with you a little bit of it, but here's another part of it. It says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm is all about God's commitment to you. One of the ways you can overcome fear, and the fear of, of many ways, is to know that Jesus is committed to you. Do you understand that? He's committed to you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is always for you and never against you. And when we feel that there's a distance between us and him, it's not because he made the distance. It's because you did. He doesn't make distance between you and him. We are the ones who make the distance. And so we can always reclaim that place with him. We overcome fear by understanding that Jesus is committed to us. This psalm, 23rd psalm, is is bookended by a word called Lord. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's the first verse. And then the last verse is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. So this verse begins and ends with Lord, right? And And to understand that, we have to understand what Lord means. And if you understand what this word Lord means and who he is to you, it will enable you to overcome fear. It's another tool. The word Lord in the Greek is Adonai. And it means benefactor, the one who benefits you. It means to overwatch, to watch over you, to protect you, to provide for you, to guide you. Adonai, this is who he is. So when you understand that, that the Lord is watching over me, that the Lord cares for me, that the Lord is for me and not against me, if God be for me, what? Who can be against me? Right? What can separate us from the love, the intentional, willful good that he has for me? What can separate me from that? What am I going to fear? What's the worst that can happen to me? They may kill you. Okay. Well, then I win. They may take everything from you. Well, I'll be smarter and I'll get it all back. You know? You you understand this? We understand that God is for us and not against us. Our fear goes by the wayside. I'm loved. doesn't matter if anybody else loves me. Jesus loves me. Doesn't matter if anybody's for me, the Lord is for me. What am I afraid of? I'm not alone, not now, not ever. He's my Adonai. He watches over me. He cares for me. He's for me. He's not against me. Here it is, Psalm 145, 20. The Lord watches over those who love him. Do you love Jesus? Yes, if you love Jesus, he's watching over you. He's watching over you. He says so. Psalm 91. The Lord orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. They're under command. The angels protect you. Anybody been protected from some things this year? You've had some things you don't even know how it happened. My son got hit by a car. Yeah, and he without a scratch. He's walking down the road, going to the store at the end of my end of my road, and like where I live, it's like kind of country, so all the farm workers, you know, the field workers, I tell them, I'm like, look, these are like blue collar Joes, man. They get off work. They're going to pound a bunch of beers. I said, you can't walk this road at night. It's dark. They don't, there's no streetlights where I live. So you got to walk down this road and then you got to go and it's dark. And I'm like, these dudes are drunk, you know? And so you got to be careful. And he literally got hit by a car, like at 30 miles an hour, the car hit him. And just, he just has a scratch. And it's like, and he calls me on the phone. He's like, Dad, I got hit by a car. I'm like, what? And my first thought is, I told you. No, anyway. So, uh, you know, whatever, man. It's like young. And he didn't have anything wrong with him other than like a little, a little scrape on his, um, on his uh, right here. And the car hit him. He was walking towards traffic. I don't know how, they, how it happened. He was walking towards traffic, and the, the car hit him. The guy was clearly drunk. He stopped like 10 feet away and then drove off. <laughs> angels that was his response he said angels he said it was the lord dad he, he keeps talking about it. he's been talking about it for a week he keeps telling me i got hit by a car I'm, I'm like i know dude but to him it's traumatizing you know how many things in your life have gotten so many things that god has protected us with because he puts his angels over us he takes care of you he takes care of you things that we see things that we don't see Then here is Romans 8. It says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are following his purpose. God's saying, if you love me and are following my purpose, it doesn't matter. I'm going to work everything out and I will benefit you. That's, again, benefactor, Adonai, the one who benefits us. So what does this mean? He watches over us. He protects us. And he works on our behalf. We shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid. Circumstances are not your master. Emotions are not your master. Jesus is your master. The Lord is your guide. The Lord is your shepherd. If you get in the spirit and you feel fear, fear and you feel fear and terror in the spirit, then there's a problem. But I guarantee you you'll never be in the spirit and feel fear and terror. When you get into the spirit, you will feel protected, you will feel comforted, you will feel assured, the peace that passes understanding, you won't know why. It could be a mess. I mean it could literally be a mess. You could have the most terrorizing of circumstances, but you get in the spirit and you will never feel fear. Never feel fear. Where Jesus is, fear cannot be. Fear cannot be. Do you know why? Because fear doesn't come from him. He doesn't know the word fear. He doesn't know it. He felt emotional distress in the garden, but there was no fear. There was no fear. He was afraid not of the earth. He was afraid of the judgment. The cup. He wasn't afraid of anything natural. He had that one zeroed. His his concern was the judgment that was going to be poured upon him and the separation that he was going to experience on the cross. Take the cup. He didn't say, keep him from killing me. He said, take the cup. What's the cup? The cup was the judgment, the cup of God's wrath that was going to be poured on him for the sins of the world. He wasn't like, oh, keep those Romans from killing me. He didn't say that at all. Fear, Jesus doesn't know fear. Do you know how he was able to overcome fear? The Bible tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Because he loved you more than he loved himself. He loved you more than he wanted himself and more than he wanted his kingdom. Don't ask me why that is, but this is how it is. God was able, the Lord was able to overcome all of the fear any fear that existed because he had a purpose and a, and a vision and a desire for something that was beyond himself. And you're that desire. He wants you more than he wants heaven. I, I, don't, I don't know why, but he wants you more than he wants heaven, more than he wanted his own kingdom, more than he wanted his own, ready? Dignity. The price of revival is always dignity, always. The price of awakening is dignity. The price of transformation, you want your marriage revived, dignity's got to go. You want your life to change, dignity's got to go. The price of revival, awakening, renewal, restoration is always dignity. And Jesus gave up his dignity. Hmm? Despising the shame. We may not say this with you. We may not see the good in the moment. Come on. We may not see, I may not always see good in the moment but I can always see Jesus in the moment. This idea that we can't see the Lord in the moment is nonsense. You can have a peace that passes understanding in the moment. You can experience Jesus. I don't care how terrorizing the circumstances are around you. You can experience the Lord. You may not always know what he's doing. You may not always know what's going on. You may be completely confused as to what's happening to you and why. That may be true but you can experience the Lord in the moment. The world doesn't get this. We get this. We're able to experience Jesus. The the world does not get this. You get it. He loves you. He's for you. So the Lord, your Adonai, this is an empowerment. Mercy and grace will follow you. Do you know mercy and grace is following you? Mercy and goodness is following you? Mercy and goodness is chasing after you. Isn't that crazy? Trying to give you mercy and goodness. Wherever you go, mercy and goodness are bringing up the rear of your life. What happens, so say this, cattle must be driven. Sheep are led. So a sheep, sheep will follow the shepherd. Cattle, you got to get behind them and kick them in the pants. The cowboy has to practically beat them to get them moving, but they got to drive them from the rear. The sheep are led from the front. But the shepherd brings sheep dogs along because sheep, invariably will wander while they're following with their beady little eyes and their peg legs. They beady little eyes, and they start wobbling over to find something else. And so the sheepdog, what the sheepdog does is nips at the heels of the sheep to keep them on the path and to keep them going. They'll follow the shepherd, but they start to wander. What God sets behind us is goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy keeps you moving. I don't know if you're aware of that. The Lord is good. Come on, get up. Let's go. God's good. God's greater than the circumstances. Keep moving. Goodness. Mercy. I've blown it. I've screwed it up. I don't know. I made such a mistake. I was so dumb. The Lord is merciful. Get up and go. Move forward. Goodness and mercy moves us forward. God puts this behind us. We don't need to fear. It doesn't matter what happens, God's goodness will move us forward. It doesn't matter what we experience, God is merciful merciful. You make a mess of your life. Welcome to the planet. Seventy times seven. God will forgive you in one day. It's the way it is. His goodness and his mercy drives us forward. As we're following him, we experience losses. Anybody experience losses? Right? You know what a loss makes you want to do? Give up. A loss makes you want to roll over and die. (laughs) can I get a witness? Right? We experience a loss and we want to just, we just don't want to do it anymore. I give up. I I can't keep dealing with this. And then God's goodness comes along and he tells you, come on, keep going, keep going. There's a better tomorrow. Keep going. His goodness. Or then you make a complete disaster of yourself. You blow your whole house up. You do something dumb. You know, you epically fail. you, You know, we all fail. With those epic failures, you're like, oh, man. And we fail, and we think that we're not loved, and we think that we're not accepted. None of that is true. God's mercy moves us forward. His mercy is our new when. When is his mercy? Every morning, exactly. Every day, exactly. He has mercy every single morning. You get a fresh start. You got lemons the night before. Well, guess what? Lemonade is in the morning. You can have it again in the morning. God has a fresh start for you every day. This is how good he is. These are the things that are compel our lives forward. This is one of the most powerful things about the Bible, if you understand it, and you understand where the trajectory of the Scripture takes us. It always moves us forward. My wife asked me, she said, do you have a theme for 2024? And I was like, I don't know. I'm like, Lord, what's the theme? And I heard the word forward. And so forward is the theme for 2024 forward. This is the essence of the kingdom. The kingdom is always now forward, now forward, now forward, always. The kingdom is never stay the same, and the kingdom is definitely don't go back. That, you know, the kingdom is don't go back, and you cannot remain the same. So there must be a path forward. And so what God expects of us, and the compellingness upon our lives, is to move forward. We are to move forward. And you say, I can't. Here comes his mercy. Yes, you can. God's good. Get over it. Plays over. Repent, admit it, quit it, get up, go again. I've experienced all of these losses. I'll never get it back again. I've lost everything. God's good. He'll give it back to you. He'll give it back to you. There's story after story in the Bible of recovery, epic losses, <laughs> epic failures in the Bible. And every time they return to the Lord. They, did the, they went their way, and then they came back to the Lord, and the Lord renewed and restored them every single time. Not one time did he not restore those who returned to him. Not once. You can't find that. You won't find one story where someone returned to the Lord, and the Lord was not merciful and restorative to that person. It doesn't exist. Because his nature is to be merciful, and his nature is to be good, and his nature is to restore I tell Christians all the time, your father's in his business. Say, what's our father's business? I'll give it to you real simple. Your heavenly father's in the restoration business. That's his business. You're in the restoration. You're, if, you're in, if you're in business with your father, and you're, we're supposed to be about our father's business, right? Kingdom business. What's kingdom business? The restoration business. That's, that's what he's into. He's into restoration. He's an amazing remodeler. He takes an old broken down shack and turns it into a mansion. <laughs> he takes a pile of wood It's scrap lumber laying in somebody's backyard. Some of you, that's what you are. You're scrap lumber, right? You got ripped off of your family house and got discarded and thrown into the back. And everybody said, worthless, worthless. And Jesus walks up and says, hey, lumber, you want me? Nobody wants you. You want me to do something with you? He'll take scrap lumber and build something beautiful. This is who he is. He specializes in the unwanted. He specializes in areas of your life that are too small. Most people invite Christ into their life and they don't understand what he really wants to do. He comes into that house and he wants to blow the kitchen out. It's like, this kitchen's too small. I can't cook anything in here. He starts blowing walls out of the house. He's expanding the arena and the dominion of your life. That's what he does. And we often resist that. (laughs) you know? I hate my life. I hate my life. You hear people say that. I'm like, give it away. Jesus will take it. No, I don't want to give it away. Well, if you hate it so much, then let it die that it might live. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. I hate my life, but this is the only life I know. I couldn't possibly give it away. Same thing in the life of the believer. Some unbelievers. they're like, I hate my life. Life sucks. Uh, it all sucks. It all sucks. Give it away. Jesus has taken it. He'll take it. Oh, no, I can't do that. Same thing happens in a believer's life. We're like, oh, I can't get anything going. I can't ever get any cooking going in my life. Nothing's really happening. Jesus shows up and says, let's blow the walls out. Let's expand this kitchen. Oh, no, 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 no. This tiny little wood stove that I've been cooking on for so long. This is my life's limitation. I don't know what it's going to look like if you blow the walls out of my life, Jesus. We, We retreat to the familiar. Always. We grab the familiar. Wanting the little wood stove. Never wanting to get rid of that little tiny thing. Yeah. It's confinement. A believer's life is so confined. Loved and going to heaven, yet their lives are so confined because they won't let the Lord do what he does best. Restore and remodel. Blow out the walls of your family generations tear down all of the understanding, all of the belief systems that you built your life upon. Hmm? All of the coverings over your life, the roof that you've, that's been established over you, the identities that people have put over you, the words that people have spoken over you, the identities that you've accepted over yourself, that's where you take shelter in, under that roof. And Jesus wants to rip it off. Oh, no. Oh, no. I don't know who I'll be if I don't see myself as a loser I'll have to give up all my excuses. Loser's been my excuse for so long. Every time I fail, I just say, well, I'm a loser. He wants to rip that stuff out of your life. He wants to tear you down to the foundation. And if he doesn't like the foundation, he's going to rip that out too. We don't understand that. We don't understand that. God will, God, he's not interested in working with what's existing. I don't know if you're aware of that. He's going to shred you. If you want to become who he's called you to be, he will shred you. Pruning the branches, you guys all know that story, right? We've all seen it. We've all seen the story. Oh, when a vine is pruned, it's pruned back to the stalk. I was in Florence, for Firenze, in Italy, and uh, we were staying on an Airbnb, really cool. Italy's cheap, by the way, if you guys want to go to Italy. Naples is really cheap, and the food is amazing. But be, be prepared to drive, be prepared to qualify for the Formula One if you're going to actually drive a car there, because those people drive like psychos in Naples. But we were in, uh, yeah, man, I did. I'm Formula One qualified, man. I saw a guy, we're flying down a road, right? It's like 95, in the morning, so we would have to go to these meetings. We were, we were working with the church, with these churches. And we'd have to get up in the morning and go to a meeting. And I'm driving a minivan. It's myself, Sherry, evangelist in the back with his wife and his two kids. So I'm the, I'm, I was ministering too, but I, I, I'll drive. Because, you know, <laughs> Alejandro, he, he's not the best driver in the world. Let's just say that. <laughs> so I'm driving this minivan. And every morning we'd go out on the highway. And I was like, wow. And Alejandro's like, this doesn't freak you out. I said, I'm, I'm like amazed at this. It was like a motorcycle stunt show. You know, you're going on 95, and all these motorcycles and these scooters whoosh, whoosh, weaving in front of you, cars whipping around you. It was like you were in the middle of Nitro Circus. It was insane. There were no rules. No rules. They'd blow through the stop signs. I asked the Uber driver one time. I said, do you, do you guys not stop? He's like, if there's a car, maybe. But he said, even then, it's whoever's strongest. Whoever's strongest, he said, you show strength at the stop sign. You know, (laughs) no rules, man. I'm on, we're on this road. We're going and I I wish we had the maps up. So otherwise I would have taken a picture of it. There's a guy on a blue scooter and he's got his 10 year old son, like probably kids no more than 10 years old. And he's got a dog on a scooter. I'm like looking over the window and I'm like, I'm like, that dude's driving with that boy. They didn't have helmets on. They're like flying right? I'm driving a van and they're passing me. That's how fast they were going. (laughs) Yeah. And the boy's sitting on the, in the front of the guy. And then I see this little brown dog look up and this little brown furry dogs between the guy's leg. The guy's on, 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 like, on like 95, man. Crazy. I don't know where I'm going with that. But anyway, that's just, just had a moment there. (laughs) (laughs) Sheepdogs nipping at your heels, moving you forward. Goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. Pruning. Pruning the branches. Thank you. God strips your life down. He strips it. When we were in Florence, there was a vineyard behind this Airbnb. It was beautiful. And a big vineyard. And they had all pruned down the vines. And literally, there were no vines. on. There was only a stalk and it looked like the poor branch was going to die. It looked like it were going to die. But that's how they get it to make more fruit, is they strip, the, they strip it down. They actually do it with all fruit trees, all fruit trees. If you ever watch them prune an avocado tree, they, they strip it almost down, to the, almost down to, the, to, the, to the trunk. Every few years, if you think, oh, are they killing the avocado tree? No, they strip it down to the trunk so that it grows more fuller and it grows more fruit. This is what the scripture teaches us. This is how God operates in your life. He cuts off the carnal. <gasps> he cuts off the selfish. He cuts off the useless things, the mentalities, the attitudes, the actions, the people, the places, the things, the unfruitful things. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to do that. This is what he wants. And if you want to be transformed, God will strip you down to the, to the, to, to the branch. This is what he does. And what happens is, is that we don't see fullness. I'm a guy, this, ever since I got saved, I've always wanted fullness I remember I was, uh, I came to Christ, I was like 20 years old, and my friend was asking me, like, you know, why are you going all in, you know, with this Jesus thing? I was a freak. I love freaks, right? You're Jesus freaks in the room, I love you, you're my people, Hua, right? I love Jesus freaks. I was on a, on a call with this evangelistic group that we're part of, GEA, man. I hope to partner with these guys, more global, global evangelistic alliance. These guys are freaks, I'm having this conference call with these guys and they're talking about all this crazy stuff they're going on around the world. I'm like, you dudes are freaks, man. I mean, they're going like crazy. They're going to like to the bush, you know, Thailand. They're going to um, uh, Dubai. I mean, they're going to these, like, I wouldn't even say Dubai. They're going to like these crazy Muslim places. These guys are like freaks for Jesus. Freaks, my kind of people, right? All in. I don't even know where I was going with that either. It's another story. Where was I going, Isabel. Pruning, pruning. yeah, we're back to pruning. But God wants to bear more fruit in your life. He wants to change you. He wants to bear more fruit. We have to be willing or not. Willing or not. I'm the guy, my friend asked me when I was 20 years old, and I I really went all in with Jesus. He asked me, what's up with you? And I said, I'm going to go all in for three years. I said, I'm going to do everything. And I'm going to commit and devote my life fully to this for three years. And if this kingdom doesn't work... Well, I can always go back to my old life. You say, you shouldn't have had that attitude. Well, at the time, that was where I was thinking because I didn't really understand Jesus that well, you know? So pray for me. Maybe you guys are more spiritually developed at that age than I was, but I wasn't. And I was like, I'd known the Lord when I was a kid, but I didn't know anything about this kingdom. And so when I was trying to say, okay, I want to know, does this work? I want to know, is this real? Is Jesus just my insurance policy for the sweet by and by? Or is this kingdom active in the rotten here and now? And that was many years ago, and I'm still at it, and I'm still growing, and I'm still becoming, and I'm still changing, but I went all in, and I've told the Lord many times, take me apart. Take me apart. You can take every part of me apart. I give you permission to do that. Take apart my thinking. Take apart my attitudes. Take apart my relationships. Take apart my money. Take apart any part of me you want to take apart. You can take me fully apart and rebuild me. Easy to say, hard to do especially when he starts doing it he starts taking you apart and you're like what are you doing jesus i'm taking you apart kevin i'm showing you you wanted me to take you apart this is how he works he, he will he will radicalize your life he will change you in a way that you could never be changed a, a, apart from him common christianity in america will not change you american gospel will not change you it will not our sermons are TED Talks. That, that's what American Christianity is. It's not gospel, it's not kingdom, they're TED Talks. That offends people, I don't know what to tell you. I was in, I was in a conference, I was in a, a group conference in, uh, where were we, where was I? I was in Dallas. Apostolic co- International Coalition of Apostolic Leaders, 250 people in the room from all over the world, I was invited. These guys are freaks. These guys are radicals. One of the, this, this was a theme over and over. There were so many people for all these delegates from all these, all these countries. They kept saying this. One guy was very bold with it. He said, we need the American church to be strong. He said, but what the American church is exporting is weakness. He said, what is coming out of the American churches and what you're exporting to the world is weakness. And he said, and we need you to be strong. This isn't coming from me. This is coming from Nigeria. This is coming from there was Cuba. This is coming from all of these different guys and they all had the, they all said the same thing. They were Kenya, I mean Iceland, they had guys from every con, every continent and every country were, was at this place. And that was a common theme. Yeah, As America, you hold the keys. America, you have the strength. America, you have the knowledge and the resources, but you are acting in weakness. And I'm like I've been saying that for 10 years. Thank God somebody else is saying it besides me. We have to be strong. It's not a numerical thing, it's a focus thing. God can change the world. He took He freed a nation with 350 people with Gideon. He freed a nation. He took the world with 12 committed. 12 committed. 12 committed. He took the world. Just a thought. We have to be strong. What drives us forward? What drives us past? What drives us up and out? What is one of the components that moves our life forward? If you will not have, say it with me, hope, hope. is the driving force into the future. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. If we do not have hope, you will have no forward progression. If you, ha- if you are without hope, you will definitely not have faith because faith sets upon hope. You must have hope. The Bible says Jesus Christ is your hope. So no matter what the circumstances is, hope is found in the Lord and hope comes from the Lord. If you do not have hope, you'll be stuck in the past. Most people live in the past. Truthfully, they're stuck either in the past or they're stuck in the confining now. If you're in the past, you live in a world of nostalgia. Hmm, This is how you know you're in the past. Oh, back in 1993, man, it was so good back then. I want to go back, you know, if I could only go back. You live in a world of nostalgia. Yesteryear, yesterday's over. If you live in the past you live in a, and you live in a place of pain where you cannot get, get past the pain that you suffered, you're bound to the past. If you can't get past the regrets, that's what the past offers. The past offers nothing more than nostalgia, pain, and regret. The past is a tool to learn from, but it is not a place to dwell in. The present, the moment, the moment is too confining. The now is too confining. The now is based upon what you have. If you want to move into the future, if you want to become what you've never become, and you want to see change and all this transformation, all these things, and you want a fresh start, there's got to be hope. There has to be hope. Hope pulls you up, pulls you out, and pulls you through. To have hope, you must give up what you have. Hope requires you to release what you have in order to reach for it. That's what hope requires. You have to let go of something to reach for hope. If we hold on to what we have, you will let go of your hope and your dream. That's just a fact. Every farmer knows if they don't let go of the seed, there's not going to be a hopeful harvest. They know that. Every farmer knows that. If they hold on to the seed, oh, we got to hold the seed. We got to hold the seed. The seed will eventually rot and be good for nothing. They have to use it. They have to sow forward. Business is built on this. It's the same principle, right? You have to invest with with hope. (laughs) It's the way it is. Marriage. People don't get married. Oh, I don't want to get married. What if we get divorced? What if we get divorced? Really? They're, They're holding on to what they have, and they don't want to let go of that to reach for what they could have. Hope is the game, Christian. And you must be willing to let go of what you have in order to become what you must be. That's that's the the way this works. We have to sow into the future. You cannot remain the same. God wants change. You have to let go of the familiar and reach for the unknown. We love the familiar, man. We love the familiar. (laughs) We live with, if we live in the now, we'll live with what never satisfies. What you have will never satisfy you. Anybody ever notice that? What you have will never satisfy you. I got the iPhone 15. I'm satisfied until the iPhone 16 comes out and you're like, my phone sucks. What you have will never satisfy you because you're not made for what you have. You're made for the future. You're always made to move forward. This is how God's made us. That's why dreams and aspirations and hope. This is what invigorates us. Simply possessing things doesn't do anything for us. Now, Okay, let's just say possessing things is better than not possessing things. But possessing things doesn't satisfy you. Look at all of the people in the world. Look at the millionaires that have so much and have so much. They're not satisfied it, because what you possess does not satisfy you because you're not meant to just possess. You're meant to become and become and become and become. It's how we're made. And the only thing that compels us forward is Hope. Hope. Say this. Any area of my life that is not under the influence of hope is under the influence of a lie. If you have an area of your life and it seems hopeless to you, there is a lie there. There's a lie. Things will never change. Who told you that? Who told you that? That's a lie. Did Jesus tell you that? No. Then it's a lie. Where's that lie, gonna come? Where's that lie coming from? That's the question. I'll never be able to do it. Well, where's that coming from? Did Jesus tell you you can't do it? If Jesus said, you can do this, and this is what I want, and you go, I can't do it. Where's the lie coming from? Any area of your life that does not have hope. My marriage is over. There's no hope. Who told you that? Did Jesus tell you that? There's always hope. There's always hope. Now, that's a difficult one because it takes two people. But God, God we have a story of a woman whose marriage was completely restored. Charmaine told the story in first service of what God's done for her since she's been to this church. And I've watched it. God's taken her life and completely turned it around. Then he took a completely broken relationship. He took a broken life and put it back together. He took a broken relationship, and he's restored a relationship between her and her husband that didn't exist. They were divorced. They were separated, and the marriage reconciled. Impossible. She said, my husband wouldn't go to church. Well, he came to elevate, and he's like, all right, these guys aren't too bad, so this is a cool place, though. So. But what she did is she yielded herself and applied herself to the principles of the kingdom. You understand the relational principles of the kingdom. That's what this kingdom's all about. It's the relational principles. Hope brings light. Hope brings a better tomorrow, a better future. Have hope, have hope, have hope. Let God give you a vision and you'll have hope. I don't I don't know how to get out of my financial situation. Holy Spirit, I need a vision. I need a vision say this, the purposes of God always show up wearing work clothes. Yeah, this lie that Jesus is going to do it all for you is a bunch of nonsense. You have to till the ground. It did not rain upon the earth because no one was working the soil, Genesis said. The rain could not fall because no one was doing any work. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. Jesus isn't going to do it all for you. He's going to do it with you. This is how the game is played. God will show you a vision. He'll show you a way out. He'll show you a way up and he'll show you a way through. And he'll show you what seems to be insignificant steps, but he will show you. He will. He promises. He always does. You may not like what he tells you, but he will show you a way out. And he will show you a way up and he will show you a way through. Always. Hope moves us forward. Hope is a huge indicator. When we know we're loved, we know God is for us. We know He's overseeing us. We have goodness and mercy pushing us, taking care of us. When we're down, goodness and mercy's coming. Goodness and mercy's coming. You don't have to look forward, look far. Okay, I can tell. I can you tell you story after story of my own life. God tells me to do something. I get out there. I'm like, ah, 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 I can't do this. Do you know why? Because I practice what I preach. I'm not a Sunday morning Christian. I'm an everyday Christian. Do you understand? It's a big difference. And so I say, I can't do this, Lord. I can't do this. Or, or I get out there and I'm like, did you really tell me to do this? I'm like really far out here, Lord. And I feel like I'm live without a net and I'm standing on a tightrope and I feel the wind is blowing me. And I go back to him and he'll give me the word. And he'll say, I did tell you. This is what, he told me this two Saturdays ago because I was freaking out about something. I was like freaking out. I have many things that I get to freak out about. So fear, fear I'm all, I can talk about fear very, very well because I I deal with this a lot. And so I'm talking to him about it and he's dealing with me and I'm like, did you tell me to do this? I don't know. I feel like I'm way out there. And the Lord says, I told you to do this and you will not faint. That's what he told me. I told you to do this and you will not faint. Don't you collapse on me, Kevin. Don't you quit on me. Don't you give an excuse and give up on this. I told you, you will not faint. Be not weary in your well-doing for in due season you will reap if you Faint not. Quitting's easy. Quitting's easy. Fear is always handing you an excuse to quit. Fear is right there, handing you an excuse to quit. You don't have a lot of excuses to carry on except hope and faith in what He promised. Gratitude is an antidote for fear. Why? Honor creates access. When we honor God and we're grateful, His presence comes and fear goes. Be grateful. Every morning I wake up. <laughs> My wife and I had this encounter this week. She wants to talk to me about a whole bunch of things that are getting done. I ended up getting up later than I should, you know. I was a little, I, I mean, I, she's like, I deserve to sleep in. Yes, that's true. But, I, I, you know, I mean, 9 o'clock's is late for me. And so I, was, I got up, and it was 9 o'clock, and she wanted to go over a bunch of stuff for me and tell me all this stuff needs to be done. I'm like, no. She's like, yeah, but this has got to be done. I'm like, no, no. I'm like, Sherry, you don't want to talk to me right now. I, I go and spend time with Jesus, and then I come back, and I'm like, hey, what's going on? What do we need to talk about? This is me. I cannot function without the Lord. And you wake up in the morning. Anybody have this experience? I have this experience quite a bit. And all of the junk has hit the fan and is blowing back at you before you even get out of bed. I mean, I got my PJs on and it's flying at me. And I'm like, okay. And I shut it all down. I said, I don't care what's burning. I don't care who's dying. I don't care what's happening in the world. I'm going to go find Jesus or I'm going to let Jesus come and find me and I'm going to spend time with my father, and I'm going to get clarity, and I'm going to get understanding, and he's going to give me the priorities that I need, and God will show me the priority, and what he shows me is not a priority, I'm going to push it away, because it's not a priority to my father, it will not be a priority to me, and if he says do this, and it's not a priority to me, it becomes a priority to me. This is how I operate. I don't operate 24-7 this way, but this is how I start my day, which is interesting. I was talking to her this morning about, like, the physiology that, we've dis- that they're discovering all these different things between the, 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 the you know, they call it psychosomatic, but the, the relationship between the soul and the body, and that your body chemically responds to the attitude that you carry. So you're walking around in fear, and your, body's, y- y- your body doesn't immediately jolt with fear until you start thinking thoughts. Anybody ever have that? Unless, of course, a car is coming at you, and then you're like, but, you know, normally you start thinking something, and all of a sudden you're like, you know, or you start thinking something, and all of a sudden there's anger, and your body chemically shifts to the emotions or to the thoughts that you're carrying. And so when I wake up in the morning, I know this. So I go and find Jesus. I center myself. I get the attitude in the mind of heaven. And I align my spirit with my emotions and with my body, and then I go about my day. And sometimes I got to go back for a refuel around 2 o'clock in the afternoon because somebody done stole my Jesus from me, and I got to go back and get it, you know. This, 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 is, this is how you can function, even in dysfunction, even when everything is squeezing and collapsing on you. The world will always press for you. The cares of this life choked out the fruit. story of the sower, you guys know that story, Parable of the Sower? Some fell by the wayside, some fell among rocks, some fell among good soil, but the cares of the world choked it, and some bare, bare fruit. Two of them rooted and lasted. Two of them withered, but two of them rooted. One of them rooted and had the potential to bear fruit, but the cares of everything around it prevented it from bringing forth what it was supposed to bring forth. You understand that? Eh? We always emphasize the tree that bore fruit, but what about the tree that was choked by the cares? And if you get it that the cares are always calling, there's always a need. The poor you have with you always. there's always a need. Somebody's always needing something somewhere somehow. The idea is to set your heart before the Lord, and God can make more out, and this is for, I don't know why I keep looking at you. God can make more. I'm going to give it to you. I won't give it to you. God can keep, give more out of 10 minutes with him than you can with 10 hours of somebody else. He can show you, if you just spend time with him and you're worshiping Him, and he's going to go, "Oh yeah, by the, by the way, Ali, here's how you call this person. Oh yeah, by the way, Ali, do this. It'll be oh yeah by the way there won't even be a struggle with it he'll show you he'll give you a revelation he'll give you an understanding he'll give you an idea he'll give you a concept he'll show you you're all worried about your problem just come spend time with me just and, and it's not like we we act this like, like we gotta spend time with the Lord we gotta get down in the Word and we gotta you know we go through this like ritual it's relationship that's what it is it's just communion it's spending time listening to him Lord what do you say what are you doing you know, there's a woman here, and I, I was sharing this prayer. I'm going to close. I'm, I'm, I got one point, and I'll just show it, throw it out there, and then we're going to close. I, mean, I was I was sharing this story a few weeks ago, and I would say like, it, it, this is personal stuff for me, so I don't like sharing it. But it's my per, because it's my personal world. But I, I feel when God tells me, throw it out there, I'm like, okay, I guess I'll throw it out there. Like, I'll wake up in the morning, and this is, like, t- this is very common. I started doing this, and I just would wake up in the morning, and I started saying, good morning, Father. Good morning, Father. The one who loves me when no one else loves me. The one who cares for me when no one else cares for me. Good morning, Jesus. My King, my Lord, my Master, my Savior. The one who gave everything for me to draw me to himself. The one who loves me. The one who cares for me. Good morning, Holy Spirit. The one who is patient and kind with me. The one who empowers me. The one who counsels me. The one who leads me. The one who manifests through me and unto me. Good morning, Lord. And I'll say some prayer right around that. And that's usually how it kicks off. And I've gotten so used to that. I was walking in the yard the other day and I was fuming I was storming. I don't even know. I was just, there was so, too many things going on, you know, holidays, all this other stuff. And I'm walking through the yard and I felt like almost like the Lord grabbed my arm. I was walking behind my house and I felt like, like someone was pulling on my arm. And I just, you know, and I tried to, I just stopped and I heard the Lord say to me, good morning, Kevin. <laughs> and I knew what he was saying to me because he wanted me to say good morning to him. If you don't think Jesus looks for you, he looks for you. He looks for you. You know, I, was, I used to get up. I still pray. I get up in the morning, but I was getting up like ritualistically at 6 o'clock in the morning and going on and spending time with the Lord. And I'm actually trying to get back to that habit. Um, I've been getting up like that, but not, not, that, not quite that early. And I was trying to get up, you know, and I'm, I do this thing called command the dawn. It's a long story. I won't get into it. But I started praying. And I would get up every morning and I would start praying with the Lord, you know, just, just communion prayers. What's on your heart? Pray for Allie, Kevin. I pray for, you know, whatever. It's just like I let him direct me where I want to pray. Sometimes it's like whatever you want. That's not the mechanics isn't important. But I would go out and I would pray in the morning. And one morning I'm laying in bed and it's like 6 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, and I'm like laying there and I'm not getting up. And I feel my arm flip. My arm just flips like that. Like somebody flipped my arm. And I'm like, what? And I look at the watch and it's 6 o'clock in the morning. And it's like the Holy Spirit going, hey, man, come on. Let's go. He looks for you. He wants to spend time with you. He cares for you. He loves you. He enjoys the communion, the interaction. He loves it. He lives for it. He lives for the communion, the interaction, on any level. He'll take it on any level. But he lives for it. He adores it. It's crazy. There was a woman here when I shared the whole good morning father thing, and um, she was here. Uh, Alex's uh, wife, Claudia, and she was telling me, she told me I could share this story. She's like, I want you to share this story because she's like, I think people will be blessed. So I'm like, all right. And so she said to me, when you were talking about that, she said, this whole week, because her daughter went to college, she said, this whole week I've been telling the Lord, my daughter doesn't call me, Lord. My daughter doesn't call me. Why doesn't my daughter call me? My daughter doesn't, you know, she's in college, you know, you're not going to call your mom and dad. You know, you're like, woohoo. you know, it's like, and so she said that the Holy Spirit started telling her, You're so worried about your daughter calling you. And she's like, do you call me? And she said it was right when you, she said, when I heard you say that, she said, I started thinking about that and that the Lord told her, call me. And so she started doing that. Good morning, Father. doesn't matter what you do. You just start. Good morning, Father. You know, he's your father. He loves you. Father, son, and spirit, three in one. Different, they're all God. All three are God. They are as one, ehad. They manifest different natures. They're individuals, right? They different expressions, but the same God. He loves you. He cares for you. He's looking for you. And the ideas and the concepts that he will give you, this goes to some of you that are in the room. God, say with me, Jesus doesn't give wealth. He gives the power to obtain wealth. On Deuteronomy 8.18, He doesn't give wealth; he gives the power to obtain it that you might establish his covenant in the land so when God gives power he gives ideas concepts he'll give you an open door he'll give you an opportunity he'll give you the ability to do something beyond your ability to obtain wealth but he doesn't give wealth he gives the power to obtain it we keep looking for checks in the mail May God send checks in the mail. We've seen checks in the mail. May God send checks in the mail in the name of Jesus. May God cancel debts. We've seen major debts canceled in the name of Jesus. May God cancel debts. But the way he moves forward is he gives you the power to obtain wealth. He'll give you an idea. He'll give you a concept. He'll show you something that's in your hand that you don't even know you had. This is how he works. So when you commune with the Lord, you know, let's just say, let's take it out of money. Let's put wealthy marriage. How do I make my marriage work? You spend time with the Lord, and the Lord will give you An idea, he'll give you a concept, he'll give you an ability to do something you couldn't do before, but it all comes out of communion. And he'll help you overcome fear. His presence helps you overcome fear. Last thing, I'm just gonna share this real quick. Do you guys get the idea that God wants you to move forward? (laughs) Forward, forward in the name of Jesus. Live for his kingdom. When you live for his kingdom, you're living for something that is greater than yourself, greater than you. This is the whole idea. We live for him. When we live for him, he lives his life comes to us. Seek first the kingdom of God and what is right to him and all things are added. We keep trying to get God to do what we want him to do. Bless my life. Bless my circumstance. Bless my business. Bless my situation. Bless my children. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. And let me do something with it. Give it to me. Live for me. Lord, my children belong to you. I give them to you. You love them more than I do. I have no influence here. They belong to you. Lord, this business is yours. I give it to you. Guide me and lead me. I live this business exists for you. Lord, my life is yours. I don't want anyone to own me. I don't want anyone to to put hands upon me. You are the only one. I give it to you. And then into that relationship, God begins to guide you and direct you. And what happens is, is you're able to move forward. God will begin to give you a vision and he'll be giving you a power to overcome your fears because you begin to live for something that's greater than yourself. And until you do something that is greater than yourself or have a vision or a dream or a hope that is greater than yourself, you will always be a subject to fear. You'll always be subjected to fear. And not, not the intrepidation, not the uncertainty of fear, the paralysis of fear. There's two types of fear. Sometimes uncertainty is, is part of the game, you, you, you're discerning, you're trying to feel your way forward, but that's not the paralysis of fear. The, we, anybody know what the paralysis of fear is like? Is anybody like the paralysis of fear? I, that, is my, that is my enemy, that is my enemy. I cannot stand the paralysis of fear. And so I work around it. So anyway, just say this, in the name of Jesus, I give you permission, Holy Spirit, to free me from the paralysis of fear, to give me a vision beyond myself, to call me to a purpose beyond myself, and to call me to a relationship beyond myself. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to show me the goodness and mercy that is following me, to reveal to me the Lord who watches over me, to show me who and what I am, and to show me who who, who and what you are. I ask for a different season I ask for an open door in 2024, an ability to rise, an ability to witness, an ability to become what I have never been before. I ask for a level of partnership with you that I've never had. I realize that I have been the problem, so I repent for being the problem, and I willfully submit myself to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. This is my statement of record. This is my declaration of faith before the court of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way, and may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, we'll probably have a prayer team available for you over there. Pray for anything else. Have a great week. See you next year. Robert Sleardon, next week, if you guys know who, um, who he is, he's a very famous author. He's a friend of ours, and uh, he'll be here. Uh, God's Generals, anybody heard of that book, God's Generals? No? Nobody knows that book? Well, come next week. He's going to be here. It's going to be a great time. Bring some people. Awesome. God bless you.